I tell people it's really inappropriate for you to walk into your marketplace and say, uh, hey, God has called me to minister to you. So, so don't ever say anything about it. Let it happen on his schedule and off work time mostly because otherwise you're going to be known as that, that Bible thumper. So let's back up and get a different view of what ministry in the marketplace is. It's totally different than ministry in the church. And if we can understand that, uh, and making ethical decisions is, is one of those things. Just doing the right thing. And I, I think God's call to purity in business is one of his highest calls. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author, retired pastor, and corporate trainer, Rich Marshall. You'll hear me talk more about Rich's background, but he's really one of the pioneers of the modern marketplace ministry movement and wrote the book, God at Work, Volume 1 and Volume 2. In this interview, Rich talks about how he was able to get into corporations to talk about ethics, principles, integrity, and character, what he called his EPIC system, E-P-I-C, ethics, principles, integrity, character. And often found that because he was a retired pastor, teaching those principles would lead directly to sharing the gospel. We'll also talk about how to connect your gifts to honoring God in your workplace, where people get stuck in that mindset, and how honesty in your work and your interactions could be your highest call. Here's how my co-host John Ramstead and I got this conversation started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Today on Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Rich Marshall. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Steve, it's good to be with you. Now, Steve, you've been excited about having Rich on since we got the podcast started, and you told me all about Rich, and uh, we looked into it together, and Rich, we are so excited to have you here, and and Steve, I'd love to have you do a little uh, you know, uh, intro here before we, we turn Rich loose. Well, uh, John, as, as our listeners know, one of our very early guests was Dr. Peter Wagner, who's written uh, probably almost 80 books. I think it was like 78 or 79 when we had him on talking about his book, Church in the Workplace. And as I read through that book, getting ready for the show, one of the books that he said was in his top 10 books about workplace ministry, marketplace ministry, was a book by Rich Marshall called God at Work, Volume 1. And as I started reading Church in the Workplace, Peter just kept referencing that book over and over and over. And it was like, all right, I need to get to know Rich. And so through Peter and through a local friend of mine named Terry Tyson, I was introduced to Rich and we got together just before we launched this podcast. And we weren't able to get anything going because schedules just really weren't able to work out. But Rich and I were able to get together a few times. And every single time he and I have gotten together, it's just, it's it's like learning from one of the greats of the faith. I just sit at his feet and I'm like, yeah, just give me more, give me more, give me more. So Rich, it is awesome to have you on. <laughs> wow. What a lead in, Steve. You know what excites me is that my book is still in Peter's top 10 because uh, – <laughs> There was a time when my book was number one or two on his list, and so many new books have come out that I, I keep being moved further down. So if I'm still in the top ten, that's thrilling. But the reality is, uh, when when my first book came out, very few books had been written on the topic of, of ministry in the, in the marketplace. And now there's a bunch of them. There's like a couple thousand or more, and I don't know 
about all of them. So, so to know that I'm still in Peter's top 10 is very exciting to me. Glad to hear it. And maybe it's just because he hasn't written another book, uh, which yeah, by now he's written 80 books. No problem. He, he does it all the time. So Rich, for those listeners that are not familiar with your story, take a few minutes and talk about where you've come from and really how this revelation came to you. All right. Uh, so this was several years ago, mid-90s. I was uh, pastoring a church in San Jose, California. Um, loved pastoring, was happy, uh, and uh, like like pastors do, always looking for the next sermon to preach or the next series or the next thing to jump on. And uh, we were doing a conference at our church, and suddenly the registrations outgrew uh, the capacity of our, our facility to hold the crowd that was coming. And in a restaurant one day, I ran into a friend of mine, Dick Bernal, pastor at Jubilee Christian Center. And I said, hey, Dick, we're having a conference. I can't hold it. And he said, why don't you come do it at our church? They had a much larger auditorium. So we hosted the conference together. And on the first night, he stood up and said uh, to the crowd gathered there, he said, hello, kings. And they answered back to him, hello, pastor. And uh, we got in the back room afterward, and I said, what, what, what do you mean, hello, kings? He said, well, Rich, you know... You know that passage in Revelation 1, 6, where it says he is called as kings and priests. And being a pastor, even though I couldn't remember the verse, I said, uh-huh, yes, right, because <laughs> that, we're supposed to know those things. And he said, well, I, I've just been teaching that, saying kings are the business leaders and the government leaders and, uh, and priests are the pastors. And so I've just uh, done a little te teaching on that. And I said, like any good pastor would, uh, have you got a couple of tapes on that? Uh, CDs, whatever it might be, I can't remember how long ago it was, and uh, he said, yeah, so I took his two messages and uh, called it research and preached them, and have been going since then. So the message started with kings and priests. We kind of moved beyond that, just simply to say, if you're if you're called of God, you're called to serve him where you are, and uh, since that time, I've been talking to business leaders around the world. So, Rich, talk a little bit more about that. What what exactly is this kings and priests? Uh, so, so when I started teaching this, I I thought I had a two sermon uh, series, and uh, and I couldn't stop. In fact, I think I preached this topic for a year in my local church, and the i the idea was simply that. Uh, uh, you know, in Re in Revelation one six it says he has called us the body of Christ kings and priests, and then you you start studying kings of the Old Testament and how God would call them to be a king, and then there were those that were called to be priests, and we we put a definition upon that which wasn't necessarily totally uh, we could wrap it up theologically, but started simply saying all of us in the body of Christ are called to serve Him. Some are called to serve Him as pastors some as missionaries, some as worship leaders, but there's a whole segment of the body that are called to serve him right where they are in their place of business and how to do that. So people would say, well, I feel that call, but how do I do it? And uh, so I, well, <laughs> our church heard this for a year, and uh, I'm not real sure why our leaders said, we want you to take the message around the world. Maybe they were tired of hearing it and if we can get him gone, we could hear something else. Or, as I really believe, they, along with, with me, believed this was a message that was needed. So I started I started traveling, and uh, first place I stopped was in the living room uh, of a 
home in Minneapolis, a business friend of mine. He invited in 20 of his friends or so, and I talked to them about your business as your ministry. And they got excited. One of them got so excited that it was Sunday night. He said, come to my city tomorrow, and uh, I'll get a group together for lunch. And I'm thinking, yeah, he'll get five or ten of his friends. I think there were a hundred people that he had for lunch the next day. And so this is from Sunday night to Monday at noon. He was so excited about what I was saying that he brought all of his business friends together to hear this. And I, I'm thinking, wow, we're on to something here. Uh, the, the call of God to serve him where you are. And uh, we, we, we took to the point where in, in our local church, we started ordaining people uh, not to full-time ministry in the church, but to, to understand that you were in full-time ministry. And so we ordained the business leaders of our church and laid hands on them and sent them back, back out into their harvest field to make a difference for Christ. And I think that's really what God intended when, uh, when he said that the gifts he's given to the church are for the equipping of the saints. Now, most pastors will say, Sunday, I'm going to minister. But the reality is, pastor shouldn't minister on Sunday. The pastor should equip saints to minister the, the, the rest of the week. So a little shift in mindset that Sunday is not ministry. Sunday is equipping for ministry. Ministry takes place Monday through Friday. Takes place with the, the people that you work with every day of the week. And Rich, that verse is Ephesians 4.12, where he's talking about a, the, the five offices apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist, their role is to equip, according to the NIV, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Correct. Yeah. And and, uh, and, and so, so, John, to your question, what does it look like? Well, we had to do a little training on that also because it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to start a prayer meeting or a Bible study at work because... Uh, a lot of people think because our definition of ministry is preaching or teaching that if I'm going to minister at work, it needs, means I, I need to start a Bible study. I'm a, and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's nothing wrong with that. And it's uh, a lot of folks have done that. What it really means is beginning to walk into your work and seeing that that is your congregation. That is your place of influence. That's where you've got to make a difference. And so uh, integrity issues come to play. Uh, purity comes to play, uh, praying about each business transaction comes to play, asking the Lord to lead each decision, praying for the, um, uh, the, the employees that may be under your care, pastoring them in that way. So all of those things begin to take place. In fact, the, the businessman that I work with in Minneapolis first, he, uh, when he heard this, he started a group of outside people from his business who would meet at his home on, uh, say, Monday or Tuesday morning and pray through their employees. I've got 500 employees. And so he said, we're going to get a group of intercessors to pray for our people. And the people don't need to know we're praying for them. We're not going to announce we're praying for you. We're just going to spend uh, an hour a week praying through the list of our employees. And they would take, I don't know, because uh, I was never in one of the meetings, 10 or 15 employees and pray for them by name and bless their families and bless their work. And the next week go to the next one. And uh, then one day, a couple of years down the road, he testified to his company that he and a group of people had been praying for them. And then he started getting his employees to come back and say, Oh, that's why my life changed. That's why this happened because I didn't know it, but you 
praying for me and and I began to see this life change. So so basically it's seeing business as ministry rather than doing business as ministry. And uh, I, I, I still struggle with how to do this completely because it's however God leads you to do it. Uh, people say, we're going to start a church in our, in our business. Ah, no, probably don't need to start a church. You are the church. It's, uh, so, so we have to get rid of some of the religious understanding of what ministry is and simply say, God is going to direct me. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to pray. He's going to show me. So it may be a business decision that he helps me with, or it may be a word of encouragement to employ that he helps me with. It's just living the life, daily understanding God is involved in this aspect of my life. Rich, you have seen this this revelation, this movement actually change lives, not only here in the U.S., but around the world. You have friends in the Caribbean that you have become very close with that they really made a significant impact in the Caribbean. <laughs> you know, early on, I, I spoke at a conference in, uh, in Pensacola, Florida, and there was a, a man there I didn't know, but he's one of the very significant uh, business leaders from the Caribbean. He and, uh, because he heard me speak at this church in Florida, he invited me. He said, hey, would you come to Barbados and, and, uh, and uh, do a conference for us? And so I went to Barbados. My wife and I flew down there a month or two later. And uh, I didn't know this man. I didn't know how significant he was. Uh, we flew in on Friday, and on Saturday, there was a, a, a group, and there was maybe 50 or 75 people there. And I'm thinking that group was like every other group I speak to, a group of Christian business leaders. But the reality was uh, Mr. Simpson had drawn together a group of his friends, of whom four or five were Christians, and the other 45 or 50 were not. And uh, there was a, a hurricane heading for Barbados at that time, which I heard about just before we got on the plane, scared my wife a little bit. And it was supposed to, the hurricane was supposed to come, was hurricane season, kind of like it is right now. And it was supposed to hit there within three or four days. And so at the end of my message to these people, I said, uh, I said, you all know that we've got the, the authority in God to, to stand against things. So which direction is that hurricane coming from? Let's all stand up, point your hands in this direction, and repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, we speak to this hurricane, and we say to you, turn away from Barbados and stop the wind and stop the rain. And, and they were all shouting it and repeating it with me. Well, what I didn't realize was most of them were not believers, but they were just doing what I asked them to do. And uh, the night before that hurricane was to hit, I was standing on the the coast there, the hurricane coming, 60 mile an hour winds about to blow us off our feet. And we went to bed because there was nothing else to do. And the hurricane turned in the night and missed Barbados. And people started saying to me, oh, you're the man that turned the hurricane. I said, no, you were there with me. You Did you lift your hand and pray with me? Yes, I did. I said, well, it wasn't me and it wasn't you. It was God. But we have a God that can do this kind of thing. And so <laughs> it was... It was like the uh, the head of the Catholic Church for Barbados wanted to meet with me that week. And I don't know what he's called, uh, the arch something or other. The, but the head of the Catholic Church came and, and said, and then, now, how, how was it we were able to speak to that hurricane? What did you do? And I said to him the same thing. I said, you were there with me. You raised your hand the same way that I did. It was faith in God that he could do something, and he did it. Uh, and so... It turns out that uh, a few years later, I was back in Barbados, uh, spent two almost two years there, working with 
Mr. Simpson's businesses, which took me throughout the Caribbean. And he brought me to do corporate training. And I said, what exactly do you want me to train your employees? And he said, oh, that's your area of expertise. Do whatever you want. Just make sure you tell them all about Jesus. And so what, what an open door. I had all of his employees for two days uh, in groups of 12. I was there for 12 months doing this, traveling uh, 13 different islands. And I would spend from 9 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon uh, for two days talking to them about people skills in business, because I don't know the technical skills, uh, talk to them about uh, ethics and talk to them about how to treat people. And then at the end, tell them uh, everything I learned, I learned from the Bible. Would you like to know Jesus? And watching people get, get saved in the marketplace. It was, it was an awesome, awesome time. So out, out of that experience, so at eight hours of training and 15 minutes of Jesus teaching, we saw people get saved throughout the whole time was an experience to be uh, greatly enjoyed. What a great platform. You know, as you went in, you know, a lot of us in corporate America, there's a lot of teaching and training, you know, we get on, you know, relationships, ethics, and, you know, a lot of these things. What did you do to actually run that uh, in a way, you know, Steve and I have talked about this, right? There's, I don't think there's really such thing as a Christian company, but you can have a company uh, that honors Christ in what you do. So uh, what right. what did you have to do to kind of bring that perspective into a lot of the teaching and training that corporations get today? Well, <clears throat> so I, I was I was new at the corporate training thing, John, and and uh, because business has not been my background, pastoring a church has been my background. Uh, so my area of expertise was not in the technical skills, but in the people skills. So I I would do uh, I did a session on. On uh, on ethics, which I which was kind of the foundation of everything to get your get your heart right. I call my training the epic training system: ethics, principles, integrity, and character. And so I I build a foundation on those four things and define them and and talk through them. And uh, then at the at the end of two days, I would say, you know, you might wonder because most of my illustrations are about the church. It's where I've spent my life. You might understand how I got involved in corporate training. It's because everything I learned. Uh, about corporate training, I learned from the Bible, uh, and I'd take them to uh, to Joseph, the man of integrity. I'd take them to uh, Moses uh, with business principles. You know, groups of a thousand, groups of a hundred, groups of ten, and uh, and then to say at, at the end of it, Jesus made a difference in my life. He can make a difference in your life. So it wasn't teaching Christianity through the two days. It was teaching uh, ethics and morality through the two days. And people getting caught up in this and then saying that was a that's a God ordained mandate on all of our lives. Uh, the interesting thing was that in uh, Barbados is such a small country, uh, 260,000 people. And Mr. Simpson's business is so big that everybody there knows him. And uh, people would meet me and they'd say, so what are you doing here? I said, doing training for uh, for Kiffin Simpson. Oh, would you come train my company? I mean, it was the easiest sales pitch I ever had. Because <laughs> if I if it was good enough for him, would you come do my company? And I remember this this young man, and he's uh, he's not a believer. He just uh, wants to be successful in business. So if Mr. Simpson does it, he wants to do it. So he said, "Would you come train my company?" Yeah, it turns out he's got 1,200 employees and I think 100 managers he wanted me to train. And I said, what do you want me to train on? And he said, whatever you trained 
uh, Mr. Simpson's company on. Whatever you did for them, I want you to do for me. So I said, well, I told them all about Jesus. Well, then tell us about Jesus. <laughs> and and to this day, whenever my, my wife sends out a prayer request to our friends in Barbados, we've got a list of 50 friends there we send prayer requests to. He always is the first one to answer. Hey, thanks for the quest, request. I'm praying for you. And I'm not even sure if he knows Jesus, but I know this. He's the first one to say, I'm praying with you about this. And uh, it was interesting. I stood in front of his company the first day. I didn't know him real well. And I said, uh, I said, well, your, your boss wants me to come in and, and teach you about ethics. And they burst out laughing. And I thought, what's that all about? Well, I figured out. He's not seen as a man of high ethics, <laughs> and they thought it was amusing that he would ask me to come teach them about ethics. And uh, through that time, I believe God got through to him. And uh, uh, it, it, in fact, out of that, we had a we had another experience. One one of his employees was the owner's son. Now, now in this particular company, this guy owned a company, and he had a partner that had partnered with four, four young men twenty years ago and started four companies and said, Hey, I'll be the money and, and you run it. And we'll each own half the business. And so by the time I got there, this man had four or five large companies of which he was half owner of each. And then he had a different guy running him. So the, the owner's son was working for this guy and he, he came to me halfway through the first day and said, uh, he said, you know, I, I need to talk to you after this training because nobody on this Island knows me like you do. Well, I didn't know him at all, except I had given him a disc profile and, and it read his mail. And so when, when he read the printout, he said, man, that's me. He thinks Rich must know me. So will you meet with me next week? And I said, sure. So uh, his dad said to me, I hear you meet with my son. Uh, hey, whatever it costs, if you can help him, I'll pay it. And I said, well, there's no charge for this. That's, that's what I do. I'm, you know, I'm back in pastor mode. And uh, so I meet with him and I, I said to him, I said, you know, the one thing I can offer you is, is help from Jesus. So I'm going to pray for you. He said, Oh no, listen, uh, you, you, I don't want you to pray for me. I said, I said, why not? He said, well, God and I had a disagreement several years ago and uh, he was wrong and I was right. And we haven't talked since then. I said, well, again, the only help I can give you is through the Lord. So whether I'm praying out loud or whether I'm praying softly, quietly in my heart, like I am right now, that's the only help I can give you. So to make that story a little bit shorter, three weeks later, uh, he accidentally shot his 11-year-old son while he was cleaning his gun. And uh, the boy was standing behind him, and he didn't know it was loaded, and shot his son in the chest and killed him. So his 11-year-old son uh, was shot by his dad. This is the dad that is in trouble uh, with with everything. And now he's got this weighing on him. And I went to the hospital that afternoon because he, the, the bullet had gone through his hand. So uh, he was in the hospital for that. And I walked in the room and he said, oh, Rich, he's crying. Oh, Rich, please pray for me. And I'm thinking, this is the guy that won't let me pray. And I started praying. And, and before I was two sentences into the prayer, he interrupted my prayer. Oh, God, help me. I don't know what I've done. And, and was crying out to God himself. And, and in, a, in the most tragic way, you see that people who won't turn to God will when the need is there. And the result of what that was uh, over the next several weeks, my wife and I visited him in the hospital, went to the funeral for his son, uh, talked with his dad, who was 
a renowned atheist in Barbados. And uh, before we were done, we led them all to Jesus. It was uh, it was an experience of a lifetime to see this powerful, uh, hugely successful businessman weeping before the Lord. And uh, when it came time to to share Jesus, I I went to Mr. Simpson and I said, "Hey, this is your job. You're uh, you know you're going to be here years after I leave. You're you're his peer, so let's meet together," which we did in a room with. Uh, with a young man and his father and, and uh, uh, the, the attorney and uh, uh, a number of family members. And, and Mr. Simpson shared his faith in Jesus and said, you all need to receive Christ. Do you want to? And they all said, yes. And uh, so he said, so Rich, I'll lead you in a prayer and I'll pray with you. And uh, it was, uh, I believe, life-changing for, uh, it was life-changing for me, but I believe life-changing for, uh, for the companies that that man represents and, uh, all of it simply out of, uh, I had a look inside the guy's heart through a disc profile, which opened the door for sharing Jesus at the end of the day. You know, so as people are listening to this, Rich, and they're out there and they, they want to bring, you know, let's just assume they feel called into bringing that ministry into work, into their marketplace, either working somewhere in a company, leading a company, uh, and I know you've shared this with with millions of people around the world and through your books. What, where do people start? What are maybe some of that next steps to maybe connect some of their, you know, their gifts, their strengths, what they're good at to honoring God in the workplace to get to that full life? So, so it, it it's almost so simple that uh, that you would think everybody would know it. Uh, the reality is you simply start your day by saying, Lord, how would you use me today? I, one of the verses in the Bible that really impacted me was Exodus chapter 31. And it's the first place in the Bible where it says that someone was filled with the Spirit. And it was a young man named Bezalel. He's the guy that built the Ark of the Covenant. Moses got the directions from God. Bezalel built it. And it said, uh, the Lord said in Exodus 31, 3, I have filled him with my spirit and wisdom, understanding and knowledge, and in all manner of work. And so the first reference to being filled with the spirit in the Bible has to do with being filled with the spirit for your work. And I think that our prayer needs to, to start off by saying, Lord, you live in me, your spirit lives in me. How are you going to use me today in my workplace? And uh, you, you don't have to be the owner of the business to pray for the business. You can be the first, the latest employee. You can be the, the lowest paid. You can be the least skilled and start praying for your business. Uh, I had a friend of mine uh, whose name is Arthur Burke. And, and uh, Steve and John, you're going to want to talk to this guy some sometime down the road. So Arthur was in, in one of my sessions, and he came to me afterwards. He's, he's a great Bible teacher, but he's very, uh, very calm in, in uh, demeanor. And he said to me, uh, he said, hey, Rich, I think you'd like to know that I've proved your principle. I said, what, what principle is that? He said, well, that one person can change the workplace. I said, how'd you do that? I'd never met Arthur before. He said, well, I've, I've been doing full-time teaching ministry for years, but I got convinced that God could use me in the workplace several years ago. So I laid down my, my speaking and teaching ministry and went back to work as a plumber in a, comp uh, in a career that I had had 20 years before. I joined a company that had eight employees. I'm the newest employee. I know nothing about plumbing at this point. I just walked in there saying, God, use me. And he said, I prayed every day. I didn't talk about Jesus. I didn't share him. I 
prayed every day, Lord, use me. And he said, during the first year that, people would say to me, Arthur, what is it about you? He said, I'll, I'll meet you after work because I don't take the boss this time. And he said, after work hours, we I prayed for uh, five of his employees came to Christ. Our company profits doubled the first year and doubled again the next year. He said, none of that's because of my plumbing skills. I didn't have any. But because I wanted to walk in there and be the presence of Christ in that marketplace setting, he said, after three years, I said, okay, thank you, Lord. I've proved the principle. Seven of the eight have come to Christ. The business is financially successful. I can go back to doing what I do. And so he says, so, Rich, I proved your principle. Well, it was, <laughs> it was quite an encouragement to me to know. I mean, I knew it scripturally. I knew it in my heart. But to see somebody that actually put that into practice was exciting. I believe that any employee anywhere, anywhere, whether you're the owner of the company or whether you're the, the lowest on the pole, if you walk in there saying, Lord, this is your place of ministry that you've placed me, how can I be used here? Let your light shine through me that they can make a difference there. Uh, Conversely, though, Rich, you've seen in your life people that have left the workplace where they were gifted and where they were calling to get into, quote unquote, ministry under the church umbrella, where they were really not a fit. Oh, I've seen them fail miserably because it wasn't their gift ministry. You see, for years, we've, we, <laughs> for some reason or another, when a pastor gives his testimony, it goes something like this, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it of course, because they're not all the same, but most of the pastor's ter- testimonies go something like this. I used to work in that old, sinful, uh, sick world, and then God called me, and now I'm in the ministry. And it, w- it sounded like if you're in business, you're in the sinful world, and if you're in the church, you're in, in the holy place. So if I'm called of God, it must mean leave my business and go join a church staff. And uh, uh, we've, we've done a great disservice to business people by not affirming their ministry in their place. So I watched people early on. Uh, I, I, brought, I brought people onto my own staff. Uh, one of my friends, I, my wife and I just spent five days with he and his wife. Our, our wife's birthdays are close together. We got together for their birthday last week. Uh, he came to Christ. The first day I met him, he'd, uh, on a Monday morning Bible study, he had received Christ at church the day before. We became friends I brought him onto my staff to be our church business administrator. He was good at it, but it was it was emotionally, it was killing him. It was just it was not his gift area, and he had to uh, uh, almost have a uh, uh, a mental breakdown to realize what the church work was doing to him. Now, 25 years later, he's uh, he's my age, still successful in business. He, he said, "Rich, it's amazing. I've lost half my customers." And I'm making more money than I ever made. And it's simply because he's doing business as ministry. And getting him out of the church and back into what he's good at made the difference in his life. And today he's a great supporter of Christian ministries. He's a successful man. He's, he loves the Lord and shares Jesus where he goes uh, in his sales role. In the church ministry, he was dying. In business ministry, it brings him back to life. Uh, he's one of, of a few hundred stories I could tell you about guys that really lost it when they they thought that being called meant leaving. In the first Corinthians it says, wherever you're called, stay in your calling. I think it's first Corinthians chapter seven. Talk about marriage and then it moves into calling. And uh 
uh, calling is uh, it, it's pretty clear there that it's your vocation. So where, wherever you are, when God calls you to be a believer or calls you to serve him, stay in that place and make a difference right there. Rich, as people go through that process, have you, you know, just working with people, are there places that people struggle with or get hung up, you know, places that just either just slow them down, stand in their way, or just stop them from doing that? Well, yeah, because we all expect ministry to happen on our timetable. And uh, we think, wow, now that I I understand this, I can go in and, and make a difference in my in my business immediately. And they get discouraged because it doesn't always happen immediately. Uh Ministry sometimes takes a long time to have impact, and and oftentimes you don't even you you never see the impact that you've had in people's lives. So there's a discouragement that can come, and it's because of expectations. Uh, our our Christian culture speaks of what is your success rate, and if it's not there, you're not really making it. Uh, I've got a missionary friend that works in Bangladesh. One of the places in the world and, and he's been he's a medical doctor and instead of serving here as a medical doctor he's a missionary in Bangladesh and the results are very very slow in that Muslim nation but he's patient and he's going to see it through so I would say lack of patience is probably one of the biggest things and then the other thing is trying to make ministry happen like they see it at church so uh, I'm going to start a Bible study next week, I expect everybody in the company to come or or sharing the Lord on uh, on business time. That, it's just inappropriate to take the time you're paying you to do something that's not related to what he's paying you for. So a part of that is learning learning how to do ministry without taking, taking the boss's time. I suppose discouragement is the biggest thing and results not coming fast enough would be the second and then overstepping our bounds and and trying to become a preacher uh, when you ought to just be living your faith. Uh, then people say, "Oh, he's the he's the Bible thumper or the Jesus uh, the Jesus guy in our company," and, and they ignore him. So he's lost his right to be heard. Well, I think you're you're bringing up a good point. I would think that there might be a tendency to be marginalized if you be viewed that way. So how do you strike that balance between really effectively? bringing God into the workplace, but also not being the person who, you know, people are like, oh, he's, he's the Bible thumper guy. Just, you know, you don't, you don't want John in your, you know, the, you know, to go to coffee with in the morning. Cause this is what you're going to, all he's going to do is, you know, evangelize you. Well, so, so back, go back to my friend in, in Barbados. I, I learned that I could minister to him without ever praying out loud for him. I could minister to him by just letting my faith in Christ begin to touch his life. And uh, so when we go in, I, I tell people it's really inappropriate for you to walk into your marketplace and say, uh, hey, God has called me to minister to you. So so don't ever say anything about it. Let it happen. Let it happen naturally. Let it happen in God's time. Let it happen in God's way. And let it happen on, on his schedule and off work time mostly. Because otherwise you're going to be known as that that Bible thumper. A lot of people are proud of the fact that they stand on the street corner and preach and nobody listens, but they say, I'm doing God's work. Well, you know, if we're not touching lives, we're not really doing God's work. So let's back up and get a different view of what ministry in the marketplace is. It's totally different than ministry in the church. And if we can understand that, uh, and making ethical decisions is, is one of those things, just doing the right thing. And, and, uh, 
and not telling lies is just it really makes a huge difference and and ethics and business is still an issue today it's uh, and I, I think God's call to purity in business is one of his highest calls yeah I, lo- I love that John Maxwell book uh, you know there's no such thing as business ethics just ethics yeah great book <laughs> yeah that that's one of the books where you don't need to read the book you only need to read the title yeah. <laughs> if you've got John's, John's book on, uh, there's no such thing as business ethics. What's that mean? There's ethics, but <laughs> they're the same throughout life. Uh, Maxwell has landed on this in a, in a powerful way and, and has an audience because of his, uh, his willingness to take his role as a pastor and begin to teach business principles from that. It's, uh, it, it's huge impact that John's having in the world today. You know that's a we great all, all that's a great model for us, isn't it, Rich? Because you you take because actually really is. when I became a new believer, I actually attended John Maxwell's church at Lemon Grove uh, in, in California before he embarked on this what he's doing now. But he's taken everything as a pastor and and written some of the top selling business books in the world, and they're not based on scripture. Uh, I no. mean, you're not reading scriptures; you read it, but everything is based on scripture. That's how I want to say it. And if you incorporate right. these principles on ethics, on relationships, on, you know, uh, what I like, uh, you know, instead of maybe having a value of integrity, how do you actually put that into words that are actionable? So, you know, if you have a culture as a leader, you're saying, okay, we're always going to do the right thing. You know, how do you actually think about some of these values and these principles that would honor God, but do it in a way to bring into your culture how your team operates, how you work with customers and clients, that at the root of it is something um, that it's going to resonate with people. And I'll guarantee, because I've seen this with the clients we work with, I'm sure I'd love for you to maybe even tell some stories. As that culture shifts and and moves toward one that's honoring God, people are drawn to it and they're like, you know, where look at the results we're having. Like you talked about the company that had the profits go up so high. You know, what you know, where is that coming from? What's where are you getting this material from? What's what's happening here? Yeah, so uh just a, a quick back to John Maxwell. You you knew him back before he was doing business stuff. I, first time I met John Maxwell, he was teaching on prayer and I went to a prayer seminar and it was powerful. And the next thing I knew about John Maxwell is that he came and stole my worship leader and hired him right out from my church into his. And, and then after that, John uh, started doing the business stuff. And I hear John's stuff and I say, man, I know that, but I didn't say it. <laughs> I mean, he, he took simple principles and, and made them huge. And so uh, I, I, I thank God for John because he's, uh, he's really made a difference and obviously touched lives like yours and, and uh, thousands of others. Uh, but one one other story. This is early on in my in my uh, ministry to business leaders. I went to the Philippines and uh, I was there with Ed Silvoso, and Ed was a member of our church. I was still pastoring at this time, and and uh, so I was traveling with him. And uh, so the opening night we had this dinner hosted by a businessman. I'd never heard of him. Uh, his name was Widen King, and. And they said he's he's a large uh, businessman here in in Manila. He's got a couple thousand employees in his company, and and so we had dinner with him. And later on, I heard his story. His story was that when he came to Christ, he owned, uh, I think it was twenty, uh, what we would call uh, hotels, 
or as they were, were houses of prostitution in Manila. He employed 1,800 prostitutes in his 20 hotels, and people come and rent a room for an hour and have a prostitute, and and this was his business. He came to Christ, and uh, he was led to the Lord by a by a, a lady who said, uh, now when I'm going to teach you how to live for Christ. And, of course, every pastor in town said, shut down all of your hotels and stop this prostitution. And she said to him, let's start changing your business one by one. And so they hired a uh, 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 a guy, I don't know what even what they called him, but they hired a, a local missionary to come into the first hotel and to start doing small group meetings. And he led the girls to the Lord, and they stopped being prostitutes. And that hotel then became a liter, a legitimately operating hotel. And the girls, instead of being fired, uh, now that they were no longer prostitutes, he kept them on as as front desk staff and and running the restaurant and doing that sort of thing. So nobody lost their job. By the time I met him, all but one of his hotels had stopped running prostitutes and had become legitimately operating hotels. And he said, next month, my last hotel, uh, I think it was called a motel with the prostitutes, my last motel will become a legitimate hotel. I've led all 1,800 of the prostitutes to Jesus. And now my business is prospering more as a legitimate business than it was as houses of prostitution. Now, his reputation in Manila amongst, uh, well, one missionary pastor I mentioned, missionary from America who was pastoring a church there. Uh, I mentioned this man to him. He says, you mean that guy that runs all those whores? And I said, I said, yeah, he's led 1,800 people to Christ in the last 10 years. How many of you led it? was <laughs> It was just a matter of, hey, let's take it step at a time, because he could have shut everything down immediately and said, I'm going to be holy and righteous in my business. Instead, the woman discipled him to say, let's make a change. And so it took 10 years, and uh, he got a lot of criticism. At the end of the 10 years, 2,000 people come to Christ. It's a pretty good story. I can see how you really open yourself up to criticism because if you just shut everything down, I would say a significant majority of those women would have kept working in that field and found other places to do business and found other people to work with, and he would have would have had no influence. So what you're talking about is really, Absolutely. you know, tuck into what God's calling you to do, find that wise counsel, and you know what, a lot of the traditional world ministry out there, they don't. I don't think they understand where the secular and the sacred really actually they're supposed to be totally entwined and work together, but they don't understand that dynamic. I I think a lot of what I hear, you know, in the traditional church world. Yeah, absolutely. And so he gets the criticism, but he's also successful and he's teaching us a model. Uh, In fact, by the time I got to, to Manila, his small group leaders, because he put a small group leader in each hotel, they were evangelists, really. Uh, but they had become the model for the churches of Manila. And so they'd hire his guys to come and train churches in how to run small group ministry. Uh, so so out of criticism uh, to, uh, to, a, to a position of uh, acceptance and authority. And still today, I, people think that if, uh, you know, if you don't immediately change everything about your company— you're just not following the Lord. It takes a while. So take your time. 
let it happen one person at a time, one department at a time, one client at a time until uh, you've got holiness throughout. I think a part of the mandate to go into all the world and make disciples in every nation or of every nation, uh, I don't think God expects us to do that in a day. He wants us to do it as a, as a lifetime. So, uh, John, I'm glad you're out there touching, touching businesses in such a way that probably nobody else can. And uh, keep on going with it. It's going to be fun to watch what happens in the next 10 years with your life. Yeah, it's fun. Steve and I are, man, we're all in. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, and a lot of times, you know, there's been a lot of confusion, uncertainty, what's next. You know, as we've been doing the work we're doing, there's been a lot of people that have reached out and, you know, want to work with us or opportunities open up. And Steve and I just really just our prayer every day is just, Lord, just keep us focused on putting one foot in front of each other uh, on the path that you want us on. And I, and I think yeah. that for us has just been, you know, that, that's just really that, that faith and that trust piece because there's so much out there to distract you. But if you, just, if you just can really focus on what's that core purpose, that core mission that God's put on your heart, and you can just every day just pray, you know, Lord, just help that manifest in my life somehow with one life, with multiple lives, and you just keep doing that over and over and over, the harvest that God creates from that, we might not even ever see it. I, I hope one day, Rich, I just have this this view, you know, people like yourself and Peter and Lance Walnow, who we've had on, you know, and even what Steve and I are doing, that God says, you know, look at, here's all the people that you don't even know, but you touch because you are willing to do something. And when you do something, yeah. something happens. That's one of my favorite quotes from Maxwell. Back when he was preaching, I remember him saying that. I wrote it down and put that up on my desk at work. If you do something, something will happen. <laughs> That's another one of those simple statements. Wish I'd have said it first, right? Well, you know what? You can just claim it now because, you know, you're hearing it third party. Yeah. I think that's legal. So, you know, hey, Rich, as we wrap up, I love just your final thoughts of people have been listening to this that you'd just like to leave with them. Well, you know, John, you talk about what, uh, what, what I'm able to touch people because my books are out in the marketplace in, in nine or ten languages now and people are reading it. You two are touching people through your podcasts and through your uh, through through whatever it is that God is going to call you to do, and you're not going to know who you touched. Uh, the thing with me, I've got I've got ongoing ministry now in Europe because one of the guys uh, ten years ago read one of my books and invited me to come over there, and it's fresh and new. So my book has like been out ten, twelve years, but it's new to them. So uh, what what's going to happen with you guys? It's going to happen the same way. Lives are going to be touched. You won't know who they are. Same thing with, with those who are listening in on this right now and, and are figuring out, man, if I'll just start, I don't need to start big. I can start small. I don't need to start doing something. I need to start with prayer. I need to start with faith. I'm going to step out, ask God how he's going to use me. Uh, lives are going to be changed, and we don't always know who they are. Uh, we don't know what the impact was, but it's, it's touching at a level that's in the heart. And so families are going to be changed. Kids are going to have a... Uh, a father or a mother who's now walking with the Lord in a way that they never did, and it's going to change the family. So the whole atmosphere changes simply because God speaks into me. And if I could start every day by saying, Lord, how are you going to use me today? And one of the business leaders that I met early on in my ministry said, uh, and, and this guy was, uh, was a huge influence in Washington, D.C. And uh, he, he said, I get up every morning, I lay down on the floor, put my face before the Lord and say, what do you have for me today? 
I get my daily mandate from God, I get up and go to work. And he said, every day as I pray, the Lord will give me something or someone, uh, something to do or someone to touch. And I just trust him to do that through me. I think if we learn that, we do something, something will happen. If you'd like more information about Rich or his books, Got at Work, Volume 1 and 2, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 084. That's eternalleadership.com slash 084. Thank you to everyone that's reached out to John and myself to let us know how this show has impacted you. You can reach us, Steve at eternalleadership.com or John at eternalleadership.com. Thanks so much in advance. Next time on Eternal Leadership, a coach of coaches, Kim Avery. I think about Bilbo in The Hobbit. Did you read The Hobbit ever? Oh, sure. Watch the movie, sure. Yeah. Uh, so when he left the Shire and the comfort and the safety and his handkerchief behind, he went out on this huge quest. And the best part in the story is when Bilbo comes back to the Shire and he's got a wagon full of gold, and that's not the treasure. The treasure is that the Bilbo who came back is not the Bilbo who left. He's a different, better, purer, wiser, kinder man. And that's what the entrepreneurial journey provides for us, that kind of opportunity. Kim and John have a fantastic conversation. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder. Thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.